Hey, Sandra. Hey, Neil. What do we have for our favorite people today? Hi, people. <laughs> zombies. Well, not really, but kind of zombies. Let's assume I bury you alive for a couple of days, and then I'm going to dig you up and make you work in my garden. I'm a bad gardener. Why would you pick me? <laughs> <laughs> so you're worried about being a bad gardener, but not being buried alive. Well, yeah, good point. But how would you be able to do that to magnificent, lovely me, your best friend and your podcast co-host? Well, the same way everybody else does, with a fish. What? <laughs> I'm going to turn you into a fishy-smelling zombie. This intro is crazy. Our people are going to think we're crazy. <laughs> I mean, it is crazy, but it's a true story, so let's talk about it. What if some types of magic could actually be real yes exactly and that's what we have today a case in which the magic is kind of real perhaps the only case yeah depends on what you think of magic i suppose but this is the only case we know of where there is scientific proof for such a thing so for us real means science <laughs> yes we're talking about voodoo priests and the quote unquote magic powder that they claim can turn somebody into a zombie as it turns out, yes, that's exactly what it can do. If you have enough direct contact with the zombie powder, the poison absorbs through your skin and you will be zombified, at least for a little while. Yeah, don't worry everyone, if you get zombified by a voodoo priest, it seems that you'll get better on your own in about 12 hours. But until then, you're gonna be a zombie, sorry. So, Neil, how did we come to live in the current world overrun by zombies? That's easy, Twitter and Facebook have rotted our brains. But before they came along, a poison. So, the etymology of the Haitian zombie goes back at least to the early 19th century. In 1838, a fictional story made the rounds of American newspapers and magazines about an African slave described as a zombie, Z-O-M-B-I, without the E, who would sneak into an art school and work on the paintings of the students at night. That's kind of nice. I That's mean, kind of cute, isn't yes. it? It's like so kind and so nice. I like that kind of an artistic <laughs> zombie. Yes. That's, that's Why did he have to be a slave, though? Why couldn't he just be I, an artist? Well, because, you know, 1838. People, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Anyways, the story became a 19th century viral success of sorts. It was reprinted throughout the 19th century in other newspapers and magazines, and it was relevant at the time due to the American Civil War, which was going to happen any day now. And it turned out that the fiction stories had their roots in real-life accounts of voodoo priests turning people into zombies. It was not just an invention of the fiction writers of the day. And with the term zombie cast into the cultural consciousness from the fictional tales of the 19th century, the door was opened from William Seabrook's book, the Magic Island, a travel diary about voodoo priests and rituals in Haiti, published in 1929. That book inspired one of the early Bela Lugosi horror movies, White Zombie, 
the movie was about a white couple who traveled to Haiti to get married on the estate of a wealthy landowner who wants to steal the bride for himself and uses a zombie poison to control the bride. These accounts inspired the first proper non-fiction account of zombies, Zora Neale Hurston's study of voodoo practices in Jamaica and Haiti, funded by a Guggenheim Fellowship and published in 1938, titled Tell My Horse. And these scattered stories left a trail to be discovered by a scientist who would eventually solve the zombie puzzle. His name is Wade Davis, a biology PhD from Harvard and a student of William Schultz, who in turn had gained notoriety for studying the content of poison darts that native tribes in the South American Amazon rainforest had used like the ones depicted in the Indiana Jones movie. With these credible people investigating the zombie phenomenon, all that was missing was a credible account of a real zombie, and one presented himself. Clervius Narcisse walked into his home village in 1981 and introduced himself to his sister Angelina, who could not believe her eyes because her brother had gotten sick and died two decades before. Angelina had seen him pronounced dead in the hospital and attended his funeral. As it turns out, Clervius was not dead, just very near death in a temporarily comatose state. He said that later in the day after his funeral, a voodoo priest dug him up, and when he regained his freedom of movement, the voodoo priest beat him into submission and delivered him to a sugar plantation where he was forced to work as a slave. When the sugar plantation owner died many years later, there was no one to stop his escape, so he simply walked home. At this point, I think it's worth clarifying some details about Haiti. The island is one of the only examples on Earth of a slave uprising overthrowing a colonial government and maintaining their independence without being reconquered. In the years of the 18th century leading up to the Haitian Revolution, the wealthy people of Europe were addicted to sugar more than any other commodity, and Haiti, then known as France's colony of Saint-Domingue, provided the bulk of it. Exports from the island were worth as much as the exports of all 13 American colonies combined. And this entire enterprise required a massive amount of slaves, who were being used and discarded, basically, in the same way that modern people burn gasoline. In the later years before the revolution, 20,000 slaves per year were imported onto the island. And the death rate in the first year from malaria and yellow fever was 50% among slaves. So plantation oh. owners were literally working these people to death because they assumed if they did not, they would soon be dead anyway. That is just horrendous. I can't even imagine. And the fact that the slaves outnumbered free people on the island by 10 to 1 ensured that the revolution would eventually occur. And before we move forward, Neil, I need to stop a little and make an addition here. I'm thinking about the sugar, right? And how the Europeans were addicted to it. Well, I am addicted to it too. And let me tell you something. If you guys are from Europe, you might not know this, but the best Coca-Cola ever is the Mexican Coca-Cola. In America, you can't find good Coca-Cola. You have to buy the Mexican one in a glass bottle because they use real sugar. Americans yes, use you some... can get them in Texas. I don't know what you use, but it's so bad. It is. And I presume it's because Mexico does not allow them to make it with the cheap corn syrup that they make it with in the U.S. I mean, the bulk of the food industry for the past 200 years has been how to make sugar cheap. 
and how to put it in everything. Yes, and there's such a... It's a very big difference, really, between American Coca-Cola and Mexican Coca-Cola. Mexican Coca-Cola is just so good. It's just so good. It's Yes, it is. I mean, everybody, if you come to Texas, first thing you do, you can go to any restaurant, any store, get a Mexican Coke. Trust us. Yes, yes. And back to our story about the revolution. That revolution lasted from 1791 to 1804. And it was ultimately successful, thank goodness. The slaves took control of the island and repelled all attempts to reconquer it. And there were twists and turns and betrayals and alliances and all manner of things that typically go along with revolutions, which we don't have time to go through in detail. But the relevant part to our zombie story is that the revolution's leader, Jean-Jacques de Salines, was assassinated after ordering and carrying out a purge of basically all white society from the island and afterward the country was split into. Now, my personal opinion, I mean, I would have done the same. Like, you want to get rid of these people that have been enslaving your people and working them to death. And let's be honest. I this mean, is a lesson on, learned the hard way. If you go through the details of the Haitian Revolution, you know, as you just said, there are twists and turns. There are betrayals in which this slave leader or that slave leader was bribed into re-allying with the French and helping a general, you know, dispatched by Napoleon to reconquer the island. And then that guy would get murdered and replaced by another guy and so forth and so on. And Dessaline was the one who ultimately saw the futility of all of this for what it was and just decreed, no, the white population will be cast out from this island. And if I have to go town by town and order the execution of every slave owner myself and all of the associated merchants and suppliers and other such people who enable yeah, people and are who enable, exactly, with the slave yes. trade, if I have to go town by town and order their executions myself, it will be done. And that's what it took. Yeah, and he was right to do that, in all honesty. Like, that was the right decision. It was the only way to end the craziness. And Alexandre Pétion presided over predominantly mixed-race subjects in the South and was concerned with fair distribution of property. And thus, he ruled a generally unprofitable region of the island. Now, Henri Christophe, on the other hand, ruled the north of the island in much the same way that the French had. He forced the poor into labor as he built palaces and plantations for profit and for himself. So after the revolution, basically what we have is two leaders, Alexandre Pétion in the south and Henri Christophe in the north, one of them good, one of them bad. Exactly. And all of this came about because of the predictable assassination of Dessalines. So the Haitian people at this point had fought all three major empires of Europe, France, England, and Spain, and they had seen constant violence with war against their oppressors being the only hope for anything but a short life in bondage, which ended in a miserable death. For one of their revolutionary leaders to turn around and betray them and re-enslave them to build palaces and plantations for himself was... To Christoph's subjects, a fate worse than death. Yes, and look, this is the best example of how, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This person was one of them, right? One of their own. When in power, he enslaved them and used them. So, you know, turning a person into a zombie is a throwback to that cultural memory of bondage. 
it was not simply a malicious deed performed on an enemy to settle a personal grudge. It was the Haitian form of capital punishment, a fate worse than death, to be put back in bondage and forced labor. That's what our Harvard professor Wade Davis, who came to study the zombie powders, found when he talked to Clervius Narcisse. Another contemporary account during his visit of a zombie poisoning followed a similar storyline. Narcisse was accused of embezzling land from his brother after their parents died. The other victim of zombie poisoning was a notorious thief. In both cases, the community consensus was that they were guilty of the crimes they were accused of, and thus their punishment was to be put back into bondage by a voodoo priest, zombie magic. In other words, the other villagers thought they deserved this. Yes, and Davis studied the powders of five voodoo priests in the different regions of the island and found a mix of ingredients that varied from region to region, including things like tarantulas, lizards, millipeds, and non-venomous snakes were included in most of these poisons, but the common ingredients to all zombie powders were ground-up remains of a human corpse, <laughs> a small tree frog native to the island, a worm that lives in the ocean waters nearby, a toad that secretes a psychedelic venom, and the poison of a pufferfish. And the pufferfish is the key here. But before we get to it, I have some zombie jokes that I would like to tell. Okay. And please laugh, because I have been searching and researching these jokes, and I feel that they're good. So, what bread do zombies usually eat? I don't Whole know. Whole brain. <laughs> <laughs> Whole brain. Okay, what do vegetarian zombies eat? I don't know. Grains. <laughs> but that's why it's funny isn't it okay one more what do dyslexic zombies eat i don't know brian's <laughs> <laughs> okay now we can go on with the actual episode i, I really wanted to tell my little zombie okay. jokes and the pufferfish can secrete a poison tetrodotoxin it's one of the most powerful non-protein based poisons known to man Mixed? Tetro what? How do you say that? Tetrodotoxin. Tetrodotoxin. Okay, that's that's yes. a mouthful. And this is why I'm not a medical student. Uh, because I would not have passed Anatomy 101. Brevity, look people, brevity is close to godliness. You need less letters and less words. I disagree profusely. <laughs> I know you do. And we fight about it every week. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Anyways. You're going to drive me to use tetrodox, <laughs> tetrodot, whatever that thing is, tetrodotoxin on you one of these days. <laughs> when mixed into a zombie powder in proper proportions and delivered to a human victim, that person would suffer nausea and difficulty breathing, followed by a pins and needles sensation in their extremities that eventually progressed to the whole body and then paralysis and a drastic lowering of their metabolic rate, complete with signs of death, including, like, a bluing of your lips. I mean, you would look like you are dead. That is terrifying. And most importantly, in terms of convincing the victim that they are being rendered helpless by the voodoo magic, the victim will be conscious for all of this. They will see themselves pronounced dead in front of their relatives. They will attend 
their own wake and their own funeral. They'll see their own casket closed and feel themselves lowered into the ground. And the only one who will come to deliver them from the waking nightmare is the voodoo priest who did this to them in the first place. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can ignore your trauma and hope it disappears, but the only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, speedballs, too many balls. <laughs> and when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, dupe friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer. I've been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is, uh, shall we say, a much lovelier person to be around. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off of your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious, or just click that link in the episode notes. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit BetterHelp.com dubious to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. I mean, Mm. imagine the psychological trauma that a victim of the zombie powder would suffer from. Never mind the physical side effects. Why would they not believe that the voodoo priest had turned them into a zombie and captured their soul? I mean... They've attended their own funeral. Yes, this is just insane. And look, I don't know how claustrophobic you are, but this sounds like the most horrifying thing in the world to me. I do not like, honestly, I do not like to be in very small spaces at all. I don't know if I'm clastrophobic, like I wouldn't have necessarily a panic attack, but I did get stuck in an elevator too once. I am the most claustrophobic person I know. It's bad. It's bad. Imagine being in a casket, Neil, for like days on and listening to everybody mourning you and your relatives crying, you know, because you're dead and you're not actually dead. You're just there hearing everything and you can't move. You can't. I I can't think about it. Like this is giving me like I'm literally I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I don't like it. Look, I am a horror movie person. I grew up on them like every other kid in the 80s that was my age did. And I'm sure I've seen the Alien movies dozens of times each, but I cannot watch the scene in the second one where they weld up the android, Lance Henriksen, into a drain pipe and have him crawl like a mile and a half to go remotely fly the ship to them that's going to rescue them. I mean, what madman agrees to be welded up inside of an 18-inch pipe so that he can crawl for a mile and a half. I mean, if that was me, I would be dead in like five minutes. I'm going to have a panic attack. <laughs> I'm going to start squirming around. I'm going to hit my head, knock myself out, 
and that's going to be the end of it, and we're all going to die. Yes, I mean that sounds about right. Yes, that's that's what you do. It's it's horrible. I don't know. I I don't know how evil you have to be to come up with such a plan and to do that to a person for either reason to enslave them, to pretend like you captured them, whatever. But it's just crazy. And, you know, the interest of those who funded Davis's trip to investigate the zombie powders was the possibility that such a drug might be useful as an anesthetic. But that turned out not to be the case. In fact, it's the opposite of an anesthetic. So things get worse here. Like the victim of the poison can see and feel what is being done to them, but is unable to react in any way. That is the most horrifying thing I can think of. Yes, and before we move on, can I say another zombie joke, please? Okay. Because I feel I need a laugh after this. And most <laughs> importantly, you do need a laugh after the <laughs> because I know you're afraid of tight spaces. So what shampoo does a zombie wash his hair with? <laughs> Head and shoulders. <laughs> it's stupid, but I think it's funny. <laughs> okay, we're going to give a little bit of way of the movie we're going to talk about. And I know some of you have seen it before, but the guy who plays the Harvard professor in the movie, and predictably there's a bad guy, and uh, is the voodoo priest. And after the voodoo priest infects him with the zombie powder, and he's been pronounced dead, and the Harvard professor is in his casket, and they're about to bury him, they open up the casket, and the voodoo priest has a tarantula in a jar, and he dumps the tarantula out into the casket with him as they're burying him. And there's like a glass uh, window in the top of the casket. So there's light getting in. He can see out as they throw the dirt down. And as they put the tarantula in there, the voodoo priest says, Here, something to keep you company in the dark. And as they cover him up, the tarantula walks across his face and steps on his mm. eye. No, like, no, this is my worst, like, no, this is a living nightmare for me. So I do not like bugs in general. I will save them, like, if they're struggling or anything. I, like, you know, I just, like, I can't We have, have them been touch recording me. a podcast, and in the middle, it'll be like, hey, 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 there's a spider <laughs> all the way across the house. And yes, everything stops until the spider is attended to. Yes, and by attended to, they are, like, all the uh, little insects. And I even had a toad that comes every evening to my doorstep on the porch. If they enter into the house and the toad did too, they will be taken out you know, carefully and not killed, but they got to be taken out. The toad is fine. I'm not afraid of uh, frogs and toads and stuff like that. But, but no spiders in the house. I agree. Yes. No, they got to be taken outside. And I usually use like a piece of paper and a cup. Okay. So in the end, what happened to Clervius Narcisse? What's the conclusion of the story? He was fine. He was on the cover of a magazine. Uh, after he got home to his sister, uh, presume he lived... The rest of his natural life. That makes me happy. And by the way, do you know how I like ice cream? Yes. And I'm thinking if I ever open my own business, it's going to be an ice cream shop. <laughs> Did you get the pun? <laughs> like for zombies, like like zombie style, like a zombie ice cream shop. Think about it. Ice cream. Yes. And like all kinds of like, I don't know, named ice creams that would remind people of zombie movies and stuff like that and zombie culture. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Yes. 
And I mean, yes, and it's gonna be obviously a red type of ice cream, right? The ice cream with like little chunky, crunchy things in it, shaped like eyes. I think that would be a hit. Actually. And the logo is a tarantula stepping on an eyeball. Okay, that might be a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bill Bullman. I mean, I presume they made like a fake prosthetic face for that and did not let a real tarantula step on his real eyeball. I, I think I would. Yes, I actually would assume so. Also, maybe or maybe the tarantula was computer generated. You know, it wasn't an actual tarantula. Oh, no, this was 1984. There was no such thing as a computer spider that looked that real. So I assure you oh, they had okay. to send an intern out into the bushes in Haiti <laughs> okay. and tell him, look, don't come back until you got me a spider in a jar for the next shot. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, but back to my ice cream shop, you would get ice cream from my ice cream shop, right? Like, you would trust me with my ice cream shop. If you had an ice cream shop that did not charge you $9 every time you darkened the door, then you would be a zombie <laughs> because you would be in a permanent sugar coma from eating, I mean, getting high on your own supply, literally. Yes, that sounds accurate. <laughs> I, I have to admit. There is one other place where pufferfish poisoning is a common occurrence. And our food people in the audience will probably not be surprised to hear that the weird things people eat in Japan include a pufferfish. So the fish is a delicacy in Japan, and it falls to the chef who prepares the fish to ensure that the customer does not get too high a dose of the poison. Yeah, I don't trust this. If I go to Japan, I'm not going to have pufferfish. Do not let eat me the pufferfish, no. no. Mm -mm. Just, mm -mm. just let it go. Don't do it. I don't care if the chef is like a Michelin. Like, I, I don't care. It can be <laughs> the best chef in the world. I'm not touching the pufferfish. No, thank you very much. I don't blame you. I mean, when prepared in proper amounts, people report a euphoric experience. It's kind of like you're high. You know? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yes. You, can do, can... Uh, you get the pins and needles sensation, mm -hmm. like the zombie victims do, <laughs> up and down your spine. And you get a tingling sensation in the tongue and lips. And for a few dozen people every year who eat too much, they just die. Yeah, that's not my favorite dish. Or, like, I no, mean, I... and since you mentioned it, chefs who prepare a puffer fish need to go through a particular training regimen and there's actually a state license in Japan to prepare what they call the fugu fish. That's their name for the species of puffer fish that's native to their part of the world. Yeah, no, I get it. But still, with all these precautions in place, I, I still would not. Yeah, not, I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There I, are lots of ways to get high I was gonna without say, like risking you, uh, being dead from Yeah, a like fish. a good cocaine, you know. I, I'm not saying, but like just saying, you know, like there are... <laughs> There are other ways if you want to get high, not risking your life, really. So, yeah, you know, drugs are bad, people, but just say. And look, accounts of fugu overdoses read a lot like the Haitian zombie accounts. People who eat too much are conscious, but unable to speak or move. In one extreme case, a fugu overdose victim was pronounced dead, but recovered and woke up seven days later while still laying in the morgue, waiting to be prepared for his funeral. <laughs> I mean, this is the luckiest man alive. Truly, he is walking yes. around solely because what? Because the medical examiner is lazy 
or because the medical examiner had too many dead bodies and just did not get around to doing the to, Y incision, you know, and opening yes, his chest to yeah, removing to his door, organs yeah. <laughs> and draining his blood. I mean, can you imagine if he had not gotten stuck in the backlog? You would be laying there conscious and being embalmed and disemboweled. The organ's about to be, you know. Oh my God, it's. Can, and also, can you imagine if that would have happened? Because I guess once you open them up, you're going to see on the inside of the organs that they look Wait a minute. They look the heart's alive. still beating. Yes, like, yes, and the heart is still beating. And then imagine not the very quickly, medical... Not quickly, but beating nonetheless. Yeah, and, the, and the medical examiner would immediately realize they just opened up a person that's actually alive. I mean, can you imagine the panic in yes. a way? Like, it, it would be insane. One of the more interesting parts of this story to me, while reading up on the details of it, is it was also an example of how something going viral happened in the 1980s before the internet was a thing. So all this happened in like 1984, and people were learning about this on TV and in printed news. So as soon as Wade Davis's findings about the zombie powder started making the rounds, other people set out to discredit him and attach themselves to the story. I mean, he's a Harvard professor with a book deal, and somebody talking to him about movie rights, so why not? I mean, he's a big target. And predictably, the Japanese did not like somebody making fun of their delicacies. So two Japanese pharmacologists challenged the claim of the powder being able to render someone a zombie, and published a scientific paper of their own, claiming that after the powder contacted water, the active drug tetrodotoxin would quickly break down and be rendered insignificant in quantity due to changes in the pH level. But, not to be outdone, two more pharmacologists challenged Japanese pharmacologists <laughs> in another paper, pointing out that when absorbed into an open wound, or through the skin, as the voodoo priests suggested had to be done. The victim would only marginally change the pH of the powder with their blood, and there would be plenty of the active ingredient left to poison the victim. So wait, wait, wait. From what I understand, basically if you put some on an open wound, that will get in the bloodstream and poison you and render you, I mean, well, conscious, but unable to move. Yes, but the catch here is this is a fragile poison. It's not like you're going to spray this from an airplane and turn a whole country full of people into zombies. Yes, yes, yes. Like This is an up-close-and-personal thing, kind of like the doorknob poisons that our boy Putin likes. It's got to touch you. Yes. <laughs> it's got a magic touch. Yes. The magic touch of tetro... I can't. Tetrodotoxin. <laughs> the puffer poison. Can we just call it the puffer poison? Sure, the puffer fish poison. <laughs> no, puffer poison. It's better. <laughs> In any case, all of these people arguing back and forth about zombies only increased the size and profit of Davis's book and movie negotiations. Yes, and at the end of the day, Davis wound up getting a movie deal that was made by 80s horror movie icon Wes Craven, and all of the people trying to disprove him just amplified the attention he already had. And this is a good movie. One of my personal favorites from the 1980s horror genre. Bill Pullman plays Dr. Davis, and there's an extra political slant added to the story just to give it a bad guy, because... The original story 
did not really have a bad guy. That was what was so interesting about this after reading up a bit more on the details. As we said, the voodoo priest is not really the villain here. The voodoo priest is just carrying out the sentence that everyone in a village thinks the victim deserves because they're a thief or they're a fraud artist or they're a murderer or they've done something else awful. This is something like capital punishment in Haiti. In the case of the movie, though, the voodoo priest is the corrupt Haitian government's intelligence chief known for torturing people. And the other aspects of the film are pretty accurate to the original story as well. And it was filmed on location in northern Haiti, which is a plus that we also don't get in modern movies anymore. There are some great shots of the ruins of uh, Henry Christophe's palace, for example. Yes, and before you go on, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt because I do have a movie joke that I've been wanting to say for a while, and I hope you're going to like it. So here's the joke. If the Joker actor was the only zombie in a web series, what would it be called? I don't know. What? The Joaquin Dead from Joaquin Phoenix. (laughs) Also, the song... Godsmack song Voodoo from their first album back in 1998 was inspired by this story as well. Yes, the song is good. It is, it is. Their best song, I think. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) I mean... Here's my completely unqualified musically, but somewhat qualified literary criticism of all this stuff. Uh, This includes the song so that we can put it in the episode and call it fair use for the ending music. Not gonna happen. We are not we are not putting a song that we don't have the rights for no. It's legal if we review it. Neil, do you see, do you guys see how he's very tempted to always do yes. stuff that is dangerous? Do you see? Yes, this is why I have a kinship with the voodoo priests. Oh my goodness. Okay, go on. <laughs> so here's the thing. You want to write like top 10 lists for BuzzFeed then You should reconsider your mistakes in life, but you're going to do whatever. I mean, who cares? However, if you want to swing for the fences in writing or research or music or whatever it is, then look at the direction everybody else is going and go the other way. All these people did that. Wade Davis went to investigate folk magic and people tried to discredit him and his research and told him he's a fraud told him he's crazy, told him this is a joke because it was folk magic. Even though at the end of the day, it checks out. There really is a zombie powder and there's a scientific basis for it. It turns out it's not useful for medical purposes, but it exists. I could think of a few uses for like yes. the powder. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I get it. You know, it's not for medical use. But on the other hand, it's the only case, like you said, the only case of actual zombies that exists because it does they are pretty much dead but also alive so it's crazy and in the case of the movie Wes Craven's films are everything that a popular audience wants usually but there is a subtle social and political criticism in there beyond the typical horror movie stuff and in his other movies those subtleties are distinctly American but not this one It's all shot on location in the Caribbean, and all the cultural influence in it is foreign to the intended American audience. But, to his credit, he did not dumb it down or try to oversimplify it or over-explain it. 
He made a Wes Craven movie in a predominantly black country with a foreign black culture at the center of the plot. And if you don't get it, then you just don't get it. You're going to have to look up who Baby Doc Duvalier is yourself. And the song, the metal music we grew up with in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was all guitarist and singer centric. But that song, uh, the Godsmack song, went the other way. It's a very rhythmic song, which isn't what other metal songs from that era usually are. But it's a good musical take on the story. You know, it captures the subject material in the same way that the Rain song does, for another example. Even though the line from Ecclesiastes is correct, there is no new thing under the sun, you can still buck the trends and go the opposite direction as everybody else at any given time. So make your art your way everybody and let those other people write the buzzfeed top tens yes i agree but <clears throat> can we stop quoting from the bible i just uh <laughs> i feel like there's also there are poets who say the same thing you know like our romanian national poet mihai eminescu he always says in his poems that everything is new and everything is old at the same time we just reinvent things and give them a new luster but it's not i believe it was the t.s yeah. Eliot version and Somebody's going to point out to me that I'm wrong because I'm doing this off the top of my head. But he said, good artists borrow and great artists steal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, it, it can certainly happen. So what is like, I don't know. I don't even know where are we? What are we talking about, Neil? We make so many digressions. Yes, we do. The digressions are the fun part, though. Well... A few pieces of advice. Don't eat pufferfish. Don't steal from a voodoo priest because you're going to get turned into a zombie. But please do follow us. We are at Dubious Pod on all your social medias and keep listening to us. 